This week on Three Questions by Corey Kareem. If you could go back and talk to a younger version of yourself, what would you say? Mm. I would say be okay with hearing no. Mm. Be okay with you, you know, not getting what you want on the first try because sometimes rejection is redirection. Oof. Bars. Welcome back, guys. Welcome back to another episode of Three Questions by Corey Kareem, the podcast where we sit down with some amazing people who are doing some amazing things. And that's right. You guessed it. We asked them three questions, sometimes four, sometimes five, six or seven. I know, I know, I know. (laughs) But rather than talk about people's wins or successes, we talk about their failures, more specifically, the lessons that they learn from those individual experiences. So with that being said, my guest today is a content creator who specializes in UGC, user-generated content, in the personal finance, travel, and lifestyle space, and partners with brands to create relatable content that drives engagement. She also has a background in product marketing at Shopify and nine plus years in brand and influencer marketing. She's been seen on CBC, the Toronto Star, the Globe and Mail, Bumble, BrainStation, shout out to the folks at BrainStation, and Blog T.O., to name a few. So without further ado, Danica Nelson, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And geez, I'm like gassed off the intro. I did all that? <laughs> you know what's so <laughs> funny about that? So when I talk to different guests that come on, on, on this podcast, I always ask them, how do they feel? So when people rhyme back their accomplishments, their achievements, is it like, wow, are they talking about me? Or is it like, yeah, that's right. Or sometimes it's like, maybe it's a combination of, of the both. So how do you feel with that? Um, Honestly, I've gotten to a place in my career where there was a point where I was just working. I was just saying yes to everything, mm-hmm. not taking any breaks in between. And you get the accomplishments, but I never really had a chance to like stop and take in like, yo, you've done actually a lot. So mm. I'm currently at the place where it's like, oh, wow, I did all that. But I have some time now to kind of like sit and like let soak it all in. So I'll get to the other side of that soon. That's good. I love it. So, uh, Danica, I know I just gave you a bit of an intro there, but for my audience, for my followers who are not familiar with who you are, if you could kindly share a little bit about your background, how you got started, you know, and where you got your inspo from. Yeah, absolutely. So hi, everyone. I am Danica, born and raised in Toronto, Jamaican background. Bah, bah, bah. There you know. <laughs> I um, I went to school for radio and television arts, so have always had a passion for like all things media, TV, production, creativity. That's always been my thing. Uh, I wanted to be a weather girl, actually, originally. Mm. Uh, then I realized real quick that uh, that field is quite um, uh, uh, competitive. Competitive, mm-hmm. not so uh, stand or not so. Um, yeah, I didn't know that I was going to get the money that I wanted to get mm. from that. So I'm like, let me let me switch over into marketing real quick. Uh, but yeah, I've always had a passion for media and all things creativity. And then uh, what you said earlier, I'm a content creator right now, full time. I love all things travel and personal finance. 
uh, personal finance because money is something that I didn't grow up having a lot of. And mm-hmm. I always wanted to kind of like learn more about how I can make it work for me and eventually get rich and, you know, do the things that I want to do. And one of those things that I really love doing is traveling. So that's why that's my other niche. I focus on, you know, just letting people know like how much travel costs, how I plan my trips, what to, what do I, what I do once I actually get to those trips. Um, and yeah, just helping people understand that travel can be a lot more accessible um, than they tend to think it is. Yeah. And I, I have to admit, I was really excited for this conversation because I think where you and I connect on other than being Jamaican, not to just rub that into the podcast again, but um, the travel piece, because for me lately, I'm in my late 30s now. Traveling is like my new vice over the last four, five years I've gotten the the opportunity to really travel. And it's like, I don't care about things, products, really. Travel is like, yo, I will ball out on that. I love yes. me some travel. So I can relate to you uh, on that. And a quick question. Where, where'd you grow up in the city? Like what, what East End, West End? Where, where are you from? Yeah, so I'm a Peel Region girl. I grew up, well, I was born in Jane and Finch, but I grew yeah. up in Brampton. Got you, Brampton. All right. Shout out yeah. to shout out to Beantown, Brampton. I'm in Salt, <laughs> so that's why I was curious to know. Okay. Um, all right. So let's get right into this. So tell me about um the most difficult moment you've experienced thus far as either a content creator or in your working career. And Danica, what happened? Like, what did you learn from that experience? How did you get through it? And yeah, how was that moment for you in your life? Yeah, for sure. So this is actually pretty fresh, but hey, I'm all for vulnerability, so I'll share. So this year, I went through some of the worst burnout I have ever experienced in my life. Um, As I said, like right now, I'm full-time content creator, but prior to that, I was working product marketing in tech, and it was a really, really tough role for me. I was working um, the only product marketer on the team based in Canada. The rest of the team was kind of based in like all throughout Europe. So there was Mm -hmm. a time zone difference. There was kind of just like a a bunch of different like cultural contexts as well. Mm -hmm. And just in general, it was a lot for me to like take in and learn at once. And I am a perfectionist, a recovering perfectionist. I know Mm -hmm. that perfectionism is not sustainable, but I am a perfectionist. So, you know, I found myself working a lot of late nights, a lot of early mornings, just trying to like keep up with things and make sure that the team like always, you know, saw me as dependable, et cetera. Um, And yeah, I I found that to eventually bring me into a hole where I was just like, oh my gosh, this is not sustainable. I am overworking myself to a point that it is no longer healthy. I am, you know, neglecting things like my health, neglecting my relationships with like my family and friends. And yeah, just overall between like, you know, trying to maintain doing a good job at my full-time job and just trying to take care of myself just got super burnt out to a point that I actually took my first stress leave in my career Um, so I took a total of eight weeks off from work and I spent that time, you know, really focusing on my health, stepping back from anything work related whatsoever, and just like really pouring into myself. And I know a lot of people are embarrassed about even thinking about stress leaves or talking about stress leaves because, you know, we're taught to just like power through. It's not that serious. It's just, it's just stress. It's nothing physical. Um, but physical stress can absolutely, you know, or sorry, mentals, anything to do mm-hmm. with like, like mental stress can manifest into like physical health problems as well. And um, mental health is also important too, right? So 
I speak about these things openly because I want people to know that, hey, like burnout is very real. Right. It can impact every aspect of your life. And if you are privileged enough to take a stress leave and if it's accessible to you, like I always, always, always encourage people to take it because um, I think it really like changed my life and saved my life in a lot of ways for sure. Wow. Those are powerful words. Saved my life. Because I'm going to be very transparent with you, Danica. I'm close to burnout right now. Um, and you describe some of my attributes as you were sharing your story. Like I have that kind of mindset, like, you know, someone's going to outwork me, uh, you know, work, 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 sleep is the cousin of death, all, all the the monikers that float around in our universe. I've sub- I have subscribed to that and at my detriment at this point. And I've been trying to find a way to strike that work-life balance if there is such a thing. I don't know. I'm I'm searching for that. So work-life balance, let's let's start there. Do you feel like that's actually attainable or achievable? Honestly. I want it to be. I yeah. really want it to be, but I haven't reached it myself yet. Right. Uh, I'm now at this place where I don't have a full-time job and I'm at a unique place where I can kind of design what I want my life to look like. And I'm working through it. But for me, what I think right now, how work-life balance is going to look for me is it's going to be one maybe part-time teaching position. I teach one mm-hmm. class, maybe three hours a week. It's going to be consulting for a company. Maybe I work with them. I don't know. Mm-hmm. 15, 20 hours a week. And then I focus on my creator stuff as much as, as much or as little as I want. And then focus on me and my life and my health and my relationships. To me, maybe that's a good combination for work-life balance. But I think that it's always going to be a lot of trial and error. Personally, though, at this point in my life and from the experiences that I have, personally, I do not believe work-life balance is attainable with a full-time job in tech with 40 plus hours a week. That's just where I'm at right now after what I just went through. (laughs) No, I I love the honesty and the transparency because, you know, we, we were, I think a lot of us are natural optimists. And so we want to believe that there, you could strike that a balance. And I also thought that COVID and what that meant for the whole, you know, work from home situation. I think that was like, bringing, bringing us in the right direction, at least for me, someone with no children. So it was like, yeah, now I don't have that commute struggle. Now I could kind of just work, but then I ended up just working longer hours. So, you know, it was interesting. Um, And, and so with the, you said that you took a leave from work eight weeks, correct? Eight Eight weeks weeks in total. Yes. Right. And one of the things I like about you sharing that specific story is that I heard once, I don't know if it was another podcast or in a book I read, it said that sometimes you don't need to hear anything new. You just need to hear that someone else went through it. So I think for the folks listening to you that have been wrestling with, well, I don't want to take time off and people might look at me a certain way. They might not think I want the job bad enough or I'm ambitious enough. But to hear that, for you to say that, hey, you can be both ambitious and take some time off, I think will resonate uh, with a lot of folks. So Thanks for sharing that perspective. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, that's not to say that there aren't consequences that come with taking a leave. Like, I'm not going to be oblivious to the fact that things do happen and people absolutely will form opinions about you. But from Mm -hmm. my perspective, at the end of the day, um, you know, health is everything. I think health is wealth. And I think you should always, when you can, if you're privileged enough, put your health above everything. And 
yes, that's what I did. Right, right. I love it. Um, so switching gears here for a second, as a content creator who specializes in personal finance, I know that's one of the categories that you specialize in. What have you found to be some of the biggest struggles with our generation, millennials to be specific, when it comes to money? Yeah, I would say there are three major things. One is emergency funds. Folks just don't have emergency funds. Um, They know that they're important, but they kind of don't know how much should I have, what's realistic, where should I keep it, et cetera. So I always tell folks, like, I can't tell you what your emergency fund number is. Like, you need to look at your life. Do you own a house? Do you have to pay for appliances if they break down? Do you own a car, et cetera? An emergency fund is really important, though, because as we've seen throughout the pandemic and even now, like layoff season is here. You right. can lose your job like instantly and, you know, you have to still pay for things and life still goes on. So emergency funds are super, super important. Um, the other thing I would say for folks is um, people just want to start investing. They know it's important, but they don't know how to start. They think that if they don't have like thousands and thousands of dollars to invest that they just shouldn't. And um, that is very not true. I think, folks, even if you are putting in like $50 a week or every two weeks, every paycheck, something, I think Mm -hmm. folks should always just start investing as soon as they can. That's super important because we should be making our money work for us. And, um, you know, inflation is real. So we have to, you know, Mm -hmm. do what we can to offset that. Uh, And then the third thing that I've been paying a lot of attention to is um, folks, I think, are slowly coming to terms with the fact that they may not be able to own a home, uh, especially Mm. in the city. Uh, And I don't think that that's anything to be ashamed of, to be honest, especially at where, you know, average home prices are in the city, not only just in like the country, actually, just throughout the world, like home ownership is becoming like extremely costly. And there's a negative connotation associated with renting. And I don't think that there should be. I think renting is okay. As mm-hmm. long as you're paying, if you have to pay for shelter, so do what you got to do. Right. Uh, so yeah, those are the three things I would say are coming up most frequently for millennials. Right. And what would you say are some of the hacks? So let's start with the emergency fund. So you mentioned that, you know, a lot of people are, you know, they know they should have an emergency fund. So how does someone develop the habit of starting to save for an emergency fund? Yeah. So I think what's easiest is um, just setting up like automatic uh, deposits into an account. Mm -hmm. Uh, Say, for example, you get paid every week, put a percentage from every single week that'll automatically deposit into another account. You don't see it, you don't feel it, but you know it's there. And I would always say, you know, put it into an account that has like a high interest on it, like a high interest savings account. So at least your money is making some money while it's sitting there. Um, I would say don't invest your emergency fund because the whole point of an emergency fund is to be able to pull it easily in case of an emergency. Um, But yeah, just auto deposits, pay yourself first. That's that's the best and easiest way, I think, to go. Right. And do you have like a, a financial institution that you prefer or maybe a handful? Yeah, I honestly love EQ Bank for mm, the yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah for the uh, high interest savings account. Right. I think they're at like two point two five percent right now. It fluctuates quite frequently, but hey, free money on top of your money just for it sitting there. Like, I'll take it. Yeah, and I asked that because I I used to work at a a personal finance company and <laughs> interesting huh. story, uh, a fintech personal finance company to be specific. And when I got there they had this kind of like hazing for new people to ask you, they'd ask you like, what kind of credit card do you have? Right. So they would like credit card shame you, but it was all like out of like fun, but you'd like 
be educated along the way. And I had, to be honest, at that time, I had one credit card and was the credit card I got when I started college. Mm -hmm. And I never, and I came, you know, Caribbean mindset, only use a credit card for emergencies, you know, paying for a hotel flight. That's it. And they were like, they're like, Corey, there's a science, there's, there's, there's game to this. And they put me on and I, I'm, I'm telling you, obviously you need a level of maturity and responsibility when it comes to credit cards. But now I would consider myself, you know, um, credit card savvy. I, I have an Amex and I have an MBA and they're, they serve two different purposes. And so I really learned about the point system with credit cards and that has worked in my favor for the most part. But again, I, I get I get the fact that you do have to be kind of very responsible because it's easier to kind of lose your way uh, with credit cards. So on that kind of note, like how do you feel or how do you tell people to go about credit cards? Like what's your POV on them? Yeah, I think you have to know yourself for sure when it comes to credit cards. Like if you are someone who, you know, is easily tempted and you know that, you know, you can't really control yourself with a credit card, then don't use it. Um mm you have to kind of like build yourself up to understand that this can get you in trouble very quickly. And Absolutely. the interest rates on most credit cards are wild. So yeah. you have to be really careful with that. But to your point, if you can use it in a way that serves you, then you should absolutely do it because like, you know, credit scores are important, especially if you do want to buy a home, you know, take out a line of credit, especially mm -hmm. um, they can definitely add a ton of value. And even for travel as well, like, if you pay for the right things on your credit cards, you know, you're not paying full price for travel, you're saving a ton of money. For me, what I do is everything, I buy everything on credit card, literally everything on credit card. But as soon as I make the purchase, I automatically, you know, deposit the money onto my credit card, or I just have a positive balance on my card all the time. Right. Um, and that works out for me because like, I've got a great credit score. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. I like it. And so for travel, do you have a travel card that you recommend? Because I know travel is your lane of expertise. Do you have one or two that you could recommend? Yeah, for sure. I'm going to be honest. In Canada, we don't have the best offers and the best travel credit cards, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. um, I know a lot of folks use Amex. I'm not a huge fan of Amex right now because in my opinion, they've got great welcome offers. So, you know, mm -hmm. you spend your X amount of thousands in the beginning, you get like $600 here. But after that, like what, what is the best uh, offer that you're giving me? Mm -hmm. uh, right now I'm using the Scotiabank, Scotiabank Passport Infinite Visa, which is good because you get your six free lounge passes a year. And mm -hmm. also when you uh, make purchases, rather than, you know, having to uh, use the points for like booking travel specifically through their system, you can actually just redeem your points as like a positive like balance on your credit right. card. So just pay off what you've already paid for. So right. I really like that flexibility. Yeah, I like that. I, I don't know. I'm the Amex. I've just embraced them so much. So I'll give yeah. you my Amex story. So I recently just came back from South Beach, Miami. I was at the American Black uh, Film Festival and I was scheduled to leave Monday. And my flight got canceled because of rain and thunderstorms weather. So flight got moved to the next day in the evening, which meant that I would have to spend a whole other night and day and incur additional costs. And so, you know, I call Amex. I was like, hey, I mean, this is a nice card. Like, what can you guys do for me, essentially? And they said, hey, you have a $500 travel insurance, which you can use for hotel, food, transportation, what have you. And so... That one additional night, I ended up booking this hotel where my other team members were, 
And when I got to that hotel, I was upgraded to a suite. And it was just like a great experience. And I was like, thank you, Amex. Like, it, it worked Aww. out, you know. But um, I definitely hear you. One of the things I I will say I don't like about them is in order. So my card is the best points card within the Amex category that, I, that I've seen so far. And what I don't like is it doesn't give me access to the Amex lounge in the airport. I'd have to switch to, like, the gold card or... Uh, uh one of yeah the gold card which doesn't give you as many points so it's like like do i want more points or do i want access to this lounge right so that's the one beef i have with amex so far but anyways i i digress yeah yeah they should i feel like they should give you access to it but yeah 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 um all right so liberty leave actually when i read this i was like okay liberty leave i like this so in 2019 you took a sabbatical from your job at TELUS to travel around the world, Asia specifically. Tell us where did that inspo come from, and um, what was your, you know, what was your favorite country that you went to during that trip, and where'd you go? On yeah, absolutely. So, Liberty Leave was my baby. That as soon as I have the time and energy again this year, I'm going to bring it back and kind of like put it in full force because it was a really cool project that. Um, I named Liberty Leave because it was like leaving behind what doesn't bring you liberty for what does. And mm. I just really wanted to explore. Um, I did not have the money to explore like a lot of people did, like fresh out of university. Right. Um, so I kind of took my my gap year or gap six months as soon as I could afford to, which mm. was in 2019. So, yeah, I was doing really well at my job at TELUS at the time. I had a great relationship with my manager um, and I told him, like, listen, man, I need to go see the world because I couldn't afford it like <laughs> a, a lot of the other kids could. But um, I'm ready now and I want to. And I spoke about it with him. He brought it to my director. They approved it. And that wow. was that. I, I'd love to know what the subject line to that email to that meeting was like. <laughs> <laughs> was it was so... actually it was an in-person meeting. But okay. I yeah, because I had such a great relationship with yeah. him and he knew that like I was really big on travel. And he was also an advocate for me traveling as well. He was so super supportive. I don't yeah. know that all managers would be so supportive, but I had a really good boss, which helped. Um, yeah. And I also called it Liberty Leave because I was living in Liberty Village at the time. So uh, I left behind Liberty Village. I rented out my condo that I was owning. And right. yeah, it was a great time. So I spent two months in Chiang Mai, Thailand. Then uh, I went to Malaysia, Singapore, Philippines, Indonesia and um, Vietnam for a month as well. Wow. By yourself. And completely solo. Black woman in Asia. Wow. It was wild. <laughs> wow. That's like a moment of silence right there. That is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> wild. I love it. I love it. I'm applauding it. Thank wow. you. That is. And so what did, hold on. I have so many questions now. So <laughs> what did your family like talk? Like, what was everyone saying when you're like, yo, I'm doing this? Yeah. So my family's very Jamaican and they were very like, mm -hmm. are you okay? What are you doing? <laughs> like the, the things that they say. And I mean, I know that that's just how they are, but like obviously yeah. very non-supportive trying to like instill fear in me so that I wouldn't do it. I was doing it regardless. I'm very yeah. stubborn. So yeah, 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 I did it. I, and I was, I'm obviously also like a super prepared, prepared person. Right. Um, I didn't actually have my whole trip planned out. Like I didn't know what country I was going to sometimes oh, that wow. one day I'd wake up and I'd be like, mm, I feel like I'm going to do like 
Philippines next or Vietnam next or something. So it wasn't fully planned, but I always knew like, okay, if I, if I were to go to this country, I would need this visa or, you know, I would need this type of luggage. I need to bring this in my luggage, et cetera. And I would also do research to make sure that it was safe and understand where I would stay, et cetera. And also see like where the digital nomad or expat or immigrant communities. So I could like find my community. Um, I found black folks in every single country that I went to, which was always incredible. Um, In a lot of countries, they have Sunday dinner together. So I met Mm. a lot of black folks as well, which was incredible and loved it. Right. Now you you just alluded to something. You mentioned that you would you would go on some site or some resource to find out how safe a country was, where you can meet up with other kind of black folks like yourself. So what are some of those resources and sites that people that are interested in doing something like what you just did? Yeah, absolutely. I know no one uses Facebook these days, but I use <laughs> Facebook specifically for groups. The community groups on Facebook are amazing. Mm-hmm. Um For Black folks specifically, if anyone's looking to do something like this, if you search for brothers with an A, brothers and sisters of, and then whether it's Thailand or Vietnam or Chiang Mai, that's where you find like the Black folks and that's where you can get invited to like, you know, their weekly Sunday dinners or something like that. Um, And then also if you're kind of just looking for like more broad communities, you can just look for digital nomads and X or um, Mm. ladies traveling and X, et cetera. That's how I found a lot of my community. Um, And then how I did my research of like what countries I decided to go to, there's Mm -hmm. a site called Nomad List, um, N-O-M-A-D-L-I-S-T. And it's kind of like this cool website that shows you like, you know, the top hundred places that a lot of nomads are at what they like about it, what the temperature's like, what the air quality is like, is it friendly, are they racist, et cetera. And that can kind of give you like a a gear as well on if you want to end up traveling there. So there's a lot of really cool tools. Yeah, the racist part is is interesting to me because I feel like that's so subjective in some cases. Yeah. Um, So that's interesting. Let's, Let's pause on that one for a second. So like, have you ever experienced racism in any of the countries that you've been to throughout your travel adventures? And then, like, how did you kind of deal and navigate that? Yeah. So on this Liberty Leave in the Asian countries that I went to, I didn't experience like any overt racism. I mm-hmm. experienced stares. People mm-hmm. were staring at me, but I can't blame them because mm-hmm. I'm a black girl in the right. middle of Asia by myself, big Afro hair. Like people right. were staring. No one tried to touch me or anything, which I appreciated or like take pictures of me or with me, um, which I, I did appreciate because I know that that is a reality for a lot of people. Um, right. But no, on this trip, I, I didn't experience any racism. There are countries where I have, like, for yeah. example, I went to uh, Jordan once and mm. people, I learned in, I learned what the N word means in Arabic. And I know that people were calling that to me and my friends when I was there. So that oh, kind wow. of turned me off. Uh, but in Asia, this sounds bad, but I feel when I go there, um, sometimes invisible just because like folks don't bother me, you know, like Mm. I, I feel safe because no one's really checking for me. No one's like following me. No one's harassing me. The most they do is stare at me. Right. 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 And on the safety uh, part, is there countries that you wouldn't go to like, because you're concerned about safety? Yeah. Um, a lot of Eastern European countries, uh, they Mm. kind of freak me out a little bit. Um, I I try to stay away from those, at least until I do kind of some more research. But right. yeah, right. I tend to I've done a lot of travel in like Asia and like Western Europe and hopefully making my way to Africa sometime soon. So Right, yeah. right, right. And what was your favorite country out of that trip, out of that like? Uh I love Thailand. I've been to Thailand mm. 
four times now. And like, I cannot wait to go back. The food, the people, the weather, you can do, you know, your city life in Bangkok, you can do your mountain life in Chiang Mai, your beach life in Phuket. Like it just has everything. I've heard, but Danica, I heard the flight is like really long. How, How long is the flight? It's long. It's like I do direct from Toronto to either Tokyo or Taiwan. That in itself is like 13, 14 hours. <laughs> then wow. you've got like another six to go to Bangkok or Chiang Mai. But you figure it out. Wear right. your compression stockings, get up every two hours, get some good entertainment. You'll figure it out. It's so see, it. that's the game that I need. Like compression socks, all of that. That's 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 really good. I wouldn't be thinking of that. Yeah, I have like there's a couple of I'm I'm still so Western in my travels. Like for me, I think my top five next uh Aruba. I know okay. you were like, you know, that's like you're like, okay, that's cute. Um, <laughs> um South Africa. That's on Bra- top of my list too. Uh Brazil. Uh I would also say Tanzania, because I want to go to Zanzibar and do a whole little safari thing. And Hawaii again. I know you're like, oh. okay, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah. No, are, I like that list. That's a good list. That's a, that's my top five. I've done I've done quite a bit of Europe, not a, a lot of it, but I've done the ones that people often talk about, minus Greece and Portugal. Um, so I've I've killed my curiosity quite a bit with Europe. So I'm interested in seeing. You know, South Africa and Africa as a continent as a whole. And yeah, eventually I get to the Asian countries. So that's really have cool. you heard of the um, website called Next Departure? No, please tell me more. OK, Next Departure. So they are they're like this website where they will send emails where flights have like uh, error fear, error fares. So mm-hmm. they mess up. They are pricing something cheaper than it should be. Um, next departure is a really good one. There's also one called YYZ deals, a website you can mm-hmm. sign up to. There's also, um, there's a bunch of them. Travel zoo is a good one. Right. And, uh, but the reason I ask is because, um, next departure, they had a sale the other day to Brazil. I think it was like $600 from Toronto to Brazil. Wow. I missed that one, but yeah, I would highly recommend wow. if anyone's looking to get some score, some cheap flights. I actually flew, uh, to Italy to Rome, Toronto to Rome for $178 round trip. Stop. This is one of my greatest life accomplishments. What? How is that even possible? Wow. So get on that. Next departure. Next departure. Okay. Yes. Noted, noted and (laughs) noted and noted. Wow. That's amazing. Um, So let's switch gears here for a bit here. Um, Now, I read that you are a strong DEI advocate, diversity, equity, and inclusion for the folks who don't know. And as someone who works with brands to develop UGC, user-generated content, what are some common missteps you believe brands make when trying to connect with our community, the, the Black community? Yeah, I'd say one of the big things is just like pay inequity and just compensation inequity as a whole. The money or the compensation that is offered to Black creators versus like white creators is wild. Um, and this is someone for, coming from me who I've also worked on like the brand side and kind of right. seen and interviewed creators directly who kind of tell me, okay, this is what a Black person is being offered. This is what a white person is being offered. Right. Like we're talking about like thousands of dollars of differences for like the exact same ask. So yeah, there's definitely a huge inequity when it comes to compensation and I'm hoping that a lot of the sites that are coming up these days, like 
the glass stores for creator type sites kind of help close that gap because black folks can see, okay, this is what um, the creators are being off. Other creators are being offered. Um, but it is a huge, huge issue. Right. And so in addition to what you just said, what do you think could be like an actionable solution to that, you know, disparity gap in, in pay? Transparency, 100%. Um, mm. Like off, if you're going to offer someone like, you know, for, two videos, I'm going to pay you this, like that has to be the same number across the board for all the different creators. Like, yes, maybe you can offer some different numbers depending on like follower counts and et cetera. But if you've got two creators with like 50K followers, same engagement rates, like we need to be, these brands need to be offering all creators like similar amounts because the vast differences sometimes would like quite literally blow your mind. It's, it's unacceptable. It's not okay. Wow. I believe you. I think in addition to what you just mentioned, I think Another thing um, brands can do in addition to kind of offering transparency, but I also feel that, you know, having more seats at the table. So that diversity point, having more folks that look like us, um, um, I think would also help because I have a few friends that are in positions where they can hire people. And one of them actually shared a story with me where they had, you know, uh, a black woman come uh, come in to apply for a position. She was in the final round in the offer stage, and she noticed that she was willing to accept an offer way below another candidate that they were also considering. And she legitimately told the girl, like, off the clock, ask for more. So I think, like, I think like having more folks like us at the table would be make a huge difference. And then on the flip side, I also think. Creators got to ask for more too. Um, have that confidence, have that kind of wherewithal, that cojones, as they would say, to to kind of know your worth. I know that one's a little bit tricky, but I feel like having enough confidence to push back if the offer, if you don't feel like there's enough value in the offer, I also think that's something that creators have to start and a mindset they have to adopt as well. A thousand percent. I find like being willing to walk away, even in my creator journey, I found mm-hmm. has made me a lot of money because I'll just straight up tell someone if they offered me like a hundred dollars to do something, no. Right. Um, and then sometimes the same brand will come back and actually offer me what I asked for in the beginning because I am willing to walk away. So right. sometimes it's a negotiation game. And like you said, creators do need to know their worth. But I also have to kind of give empathy to the, to the creators because this space is so new. It's kind of the wild, wild west. No right. one really knows what is acceptable to ask. No one really knows what are going rates of things. And that's where, from my perspective, it goes back to transparency. We need people to be talking about these things so we even understand the baseline of what's acceptable. Right, right. I agree. I agree. The baseline is needed. Um. So my last question, really, it's not my last, but my last big question, let's call it that. Right? <laughs> um, what do you believe is the best lesson you learned from dealing with and overcoming failure thus far in your life, in your career? Yeah, that's a really good question. And again, I'm in like right, right now, a very transformative Mm. period in my life where I'm really trying to figure it out. This is the first time in my career where like, you know, I have no idea what's going on. Mm. I have been working since I was like 13 years old at McDonald's. And yeah, Yeah. so it's like, this is a a weird time for me. Um, But what I am telling myself and what I'm coming to terms with is it's okay to not have 
a solid one-year plan, five-year plan, 10-year plan. Mm -hmm. It's okay to kind of just go with the flow sometimes and see what works, see what doesn't. And also I'm realizing it's okay to reinvent yourself as many times as you need to. It's okay to, you know, lean into a new passion, into a new skill, to experiment, to try something new. Just because you've invested, you know, five plus years into one craft doesn't mean that you can't switch into another craft if the original craft is no longer kind of, you know, what is working for you or what speaks to you. I spent a lot of time doing product marketing and I thought that was my thing. I don't think I want to do product marketing ever again. So, Mm. and that's okay, right? Like maybe I'll do a different type of marketing or different type of creative marketing, but at the end of the day, like reinventing yourself as many times as you need to and dabbling in new things is totally okay. And I think it's just kind of a part of the, it's a part of life. It happens. Right. And I love what you're saying, because what you're speaking to is the ebb and flow of life. And I think, you know, for the, for the folks that are planners that have every kind of stage of their life planned out, you know, these type of situations could be very difficult. And then, then of course, there's that old adage, you know, you know, uh, we plan and God laughs type of thing. Um, and so I think it's okay to kind of let go of it has to happen like this. I think as long as you kind of get to the vision that you have in mind, and it's also okay that your vision will change because we're always evolving as human beings, right? So letting go is kind of the consistent word here. And I know that's easier said than done. And certain things are easier to let go than others for some, some folks, but, um, I definitely respect the fact that hey, you might not have a plan right now, but you're just like, hey, let's just go with the flow. I I have so much respect for that because I'm definitely like a, a planner type and I have to know what the contingency plan is after the contingency plan. So, and but that's something I'm also working on and just like figuring it out as I go along because we can all do that essentially, right? Yeah, we are the same to be clear. I am very much a planner with the contingency, with the contingency. So right. I'm extremely uncomfortable at this point in my life, but- yeah. I have to just figure it out. Well, I, I could tell you, you're going to grow a lot in this season. So I'm excited to see the evolution uh, of what you will become uh, out of this season in your life. And uh, Danica, as a quick follow-up to that question, if you could go back and talk to a younger version of yourself, what would you say? Mm. I would say be okay with hearing no. Mm. Be okay with you, you know, not getting what you want on the first try because sometimes rejection is redirection. Oof, bars. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm all for that. Listen, I my background is in ad sales. We have a couple of different sayings. No does not mean no forever, it means no right now. Um, we always use the saying go for no. Um, it's, it's just, you know, and then, you know, years ago I came across a publisher, his name is, um, Darren Hardy. He used to own success magazine. I don't know if he still owns it, but he used to talk about his beginning stages in real estate. And when he was starting out in real estate, when he had no clients, he had like an Excel sheet where he had like, you know, 30 boxes and his job was to get 30 no's every day. So he would go knock on doors. Hey, my name is Darren. Just let you know I'm a new realtor. Happy to service you if you want to buy a home, sell a home, whatever. His job was not to get yeses. His job was to get 30 no's every day. Two things came out of that. One, by sheer default of just going through the numbers, the law of averages, he got yeses. And number two, it desensitized him to the no. 
So it doesn't have the same impact to the no. He doesn't fear it like most people do. So I love the fact that you just uh, said that it's okay to hear no on the first time. Like, that's great. I actually love that. I'm going to look that story up because Mm. I, that, yeah, that really resonates with me. On TikTok, there's this trend um, called rejection therapy Mm. where people will literally just ask like these wild questions. Like I saw one where a girl went into like a mattress store and said, can I jump on these beds? (laughs) And she was expecting for them to say no, but they said yes. And she's like, okay, whatever, it works out. But she's getting used to like hearing no as well. And it kind of just helps her in life. Yeah. And I think, you know, with that, I think the the root of that, in my humble opinion, is that, you know, I had this conversation with with, um, another creator and he said something that we've all heard one or more times in our life, but it just really resonated is that we're all one decision away. And sometimes we get put in these moments and we're like, we have the question or we have the answer, but we shy away from it for uh, for whatever reason. And that one question that we could have asked or that one you know, answer that we could have said could have had a ripple effect on our career or our situation, but we, in, whether it was fair or whatever it is, we shied away from it. And so, like, I, I really like that mentality of just going for it. Cause at the end of the day, a no is not going to kill you. You might, in some cases, feel some embarrassment, but that embarrassment will be temporary. And I've felt that way. I always tell this story. So, you know, we had an offsite at Spotify almost a year ago at this point. And I was in front of like 400 of my colleagues you know, VPs are on stage. And I'm like, I'm going to ask a question. Nobody else from my team was asking a question. I'm like, I'm I'm just going to ask one, an honest one. And I asked that question. But what most people don't know, Danica, is my back froze. Like it got super tense, super tight, but I still did it because in my mind, the win was in me doing the action, regardless of what happened. Because I said I wanted to do it. The fact that I did it, that's the win for me. That's how I'm trying to trained my mind to kind of think. And the result of that is I had other directors, VPs came up and stopped and talked to me about my question or oh, really like that. So there was like this, this triple, there's a, a ripple effect from me just asking that question. And I was so close to not asking that question. So I love the fact that you, you brought that up. Yeah. I love the fact that you brought that up. That's a great story. Yes. All right. So rapid fire questions real quick. Uh, Danica, this is where I ask you, um, you know, a few questions and you just got to give me the first answer that comes to your mind as quickly as you can. So my first question to you is, what is uh, the biggest or one of the most popular personal finance myths that are out there? What's a big myth in personal finance that's floating around out there? That. Oh crap, this is supposed to be rapid fire. That mutual funds are a good idea. They're an awful idea. Don't don't buy mutual funds, especially in big, big 2023. Mm, I love it. What is a top travel hack that most people don't know about? I think you might have just shared one, actually. Yeah, I was gonna say find air affairs, subscribe to Next Departure and Fly Trippers and YYZ deals. Love it. Name the top three countries you visited. Your favorite three, in your opinion. Thailand. Greece, their food is amazing. And uh, Berlin, Germany, really like that city as well. Mm, Interesting. And my last one is, what is a mantra or a quote that you live by? Stay ready. Stay ready. I love it. 
love it. I love it. I love it. So Danica, if, if someone wants to hire you, wants to uh, collaborate with you or just follow your content, uh, where can they find you? For sure. I am Danica S. Nelson on Instagram, on LinkedIn. I am Rich Auntie Loading on TikTok. Mm, I love that. Where'd that name come from? <laughs> uh, that's 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 who I am right now. I mm. am I am trying to be a rich auntie. I'm not there yet. I'm loading. I'm getting right, there. Right, right, right. I love it. I love <laughs> it. I love it. Well, guys, um, that concludes this episode of Three Questions by Corey Kareem and. As many of you know, I like to end each episode by saying this. If you just want to impress people, you know, talk about, you know, the things you have in your home, cars you have, the awards you've won, yada, 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 all those accolades. But if you really want to have an impact on someone else's life, talk about the downturns, uh, your failures, uh, those bad seasons, those trials and tribulations. That's how you really move the needle in someone else's life. With that being said, Danica and I are out. Peace and love until the next time.